Amen. Well, let's get ready to jump in. Today on What's the Word, we are talking about Proverbs chapter 6. We've been started a series a while back where we go into a chapter of Proverbs per episode, and we literally go verse by verse by verse. Today, you actually have Proverbs chapter 6. It has 35 verses. There's multiple topics, multiple lists of things in here that'll help you. It is great. Uh, it is great. And uh, the subtitle of today is Parental Counsel. Uh, and I don't. I think that that's a little limiting. I think it's counsel to everybody for everything. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I understand why they said it. Let's look at verse 1. It says, Proverbs 6 and verse 1, My son, if you have become surety... For your neighbor have given a pledge for a stranger. Now, a surety is basically like you have co-signed uh, for your neighbor. In other words, you said, "I will stand up for them. I'm. I will. If they don't pay it, I'll pay." Uh, it can be, "I've given my word for somebody." Now, ultimately, what you're going to see is this is generally not a good idea, and that's what it's showing. He's he's saying that when you do that. You have put your life in someone else's hands. And a couple of things on that is you now become in a partnership and kind of in a covenant with that person with how they live. So, for instance, let's say that they were living completely wrong. Well, what do we know from the Word? We know that whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Well, if a person is living immorally, then one of the things that you're going to see is if my life is in their hands and they're living immorally, then I can receive and reap some of the fruit of those immoral actions, right? I, in other words, he might be doing it well today, but next week, maybe he's not. I don't know. So one of the things that I would just caution you, this is coming straight from the word here is, you don't go into an agreement like that without having heard directly from the Lord. That's not something that you should just do. A lot of times when people are asking for a cosign, it's because they've gotten themselves into a jam on their own accord. And what you don't know is, have they changed those practices? That doesn't mean that you never do that. It doesn't mean that you never, you absolutely never do that. It means that this is something that's, generally going to be in the minority of times where the Lord's going to say, yes, you really need to hear from the Lord. Again, my son, if you become a surety or a cosigner for your neighbor, have given a pledge for a stranger. So one of the things that it shows is you definitely don't do this for somebody whose life you don't know. Their life is strange to you. It's a stranger to you. You don't know exactly how they live their life. Um, you know, not too long ago, I constantly have people that are asking us for things and things like that. It's one of the reasons why we're supposed to be a part of a church is because a church pastor will know basically the life that that person is living. If that life is not godly, then we don't just take God's funds and funnel it constantly to the ungodly. That's why in Malachi 3, when it talks about the tithes, bring them into the storehouse. So many times what people have done is they've turned, well, a church is supposed to give the poor something all the time. That's not how that's supposed to work at all. 
You're supposed to have a pastor who is involved with your life, knows your, your faults, knows those missteps, knows those good steps, and, and can see they're heading in the right direction or not heading in the right direction, and they can see this person really deserves a helping hand or, no, this person continuously is denying the Lord's way and will continue to. If you feed that, it's just going to continually go downhill. Now, a lot of people don't want that type of accountability in their life, and, and that's the issue. They want to run their own life, including not letting God run it. They want to do things their own way. That's why it's important. So what you see here is you don't co-sign and just give to people that you don't know who they are, what they're going to do with the finances, what the fruit of that is. This is always a bad idea. Now, can the Holy Spirit come in and say, you don't know them, but I want you to do this? Absolutely. And if he does it, we should follow the leading of the Lord and the peace of God on our heart. But as a general counsel from the word of God, that's not how it's going to work. And that's why many times when people come up to church and I don't know them, and they're saying, hey, the church is supposed to help. No, you've got it wrong. The church is supposed to help somebody that the Lord has provided counsel that we're supposed to help. So like when you go into the widow's um, it says, help those who are widows indeed. Now, we're talking about widows. We're not even talking about the poor who generally would be younger and would not have had lost like a spouse. You know, he's talking about the widows, and he says, the widows who are widows indeed are old enough that they can't help themselves anymore, and they don't have a husband that can help them. And watch this, and they don't have family that can help them. Well, we can see right there that you've got three different conditions so that to decide if I'm actually going to help a widow, if I'm going to help a widow, if the church is to help a widow. Well, do you think those same conditions shouldn't also apply to somebody who's struggling because they've made bad decisions or they just don't want to go to work or don't do those things? The Bible is a word of personal responsibility, and you don't fix a community by, by giving just a blanket to the community. You help individuals, and the Lord uh, shows us that in his counsel. So when, now how does this apply to this? When we are co-signing for somebody that we don't know their life, we haven't gotten counsel on that, or at least gone to their pastor, and then you think, all right, they're not even going to church. They're not following the basic tenets of what God said to do. That person's always going to be in a jam for the most part. And even if they're not in a jam financially, they'll be in a jam spiritually. And those are the things that we want to avoid and we're not necessarily supposed to help. So a lot of people have the idea that you're supposed to help everybody who ever comes to you ever, and they get that from a scripture where it talks about if somebody comes to you, give them, their, give them your coat, give them, you know, give them twice what they asked for in that way. Our heart is to be ready to give, but th when you take the full counsel of the word, it doesn't mean to give to everybody. That's why he's given us the Holy Spirit in the Holy Spirit's word, he's not going to contradict himself on those conditions. And he will give us, if there is something that's a special moment, the Holy Spirit will write that and we'll have peace on our heart. 
that we're supposed to, but don't do it just because you have pressure in your mind or pressure from a society that tells you this is how you're supposed to do it. The Bible's already told us how to do it. And so don't just go out co-signing for people. Don't just, don't just give everything everywhere to everybody in that way. There's, there are standards that the Lord has set up, and he set them up for a reason, not only to help other people, but to help the people that are actually in need. Sometimes when you give a hand, handout to somebody who has their handout, you're not actually helping them, you're actually hindering them. Think about the prodigal son. With the prodigal son, anybody that came along and handed him a meal in that pig pen prolonged his time in the pig pen because he didn't need an extra handout. He needed to wake up and go back to his father's house. This is something that I want us to see because, all right, we're on verse one and <laughs> we're like 10 minutes in. This we want to make sure that we're doing this properly. I think the devil has used what we would consider good to get us to do things that God has not told us to do. And because of that, we've actually fallen into a pit ourselves. This is what he's talking about. My son, if you become a surety or a cosigner for your neighbor, have given a pledge for a stranger, or if you have been snared but with the words of your mouth. In other words, you've made a promise that you shouldn't have made. You've been caught with the words of your mouth, right? Do this then, my son, and deliver yourself. In other words, you are supposed to deliver yourself from this moment. If you've spoken the wrong thing, I'm, multiple times I have spoken the wrong thing, and I've said, oh, I should do this. He's not saying just carry through with it every single time. You go to them. Now, if they don't relieve you of that, you should follow through because you spoke it. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. But he's saying if it's the wrong thing and you know it's the wrong thing and you're in bondage to this, do this and deliver yourself since you have come into the hand of your neighbor. So notice that he encapsulates verse 1, 2, and 3. I've spoken something and made a promise that I shouldn't have made. I've become a cosigner for somebody I didn't, I shouldn't have cosigned for. I've put my my word on the line for somebody I didn't know who's what their life was like. All of these things, he says, you have come into the hand of your neighbor. You've put your life in their hand, and what they decide to do with it is now going to affect your life. He says, I don't want that to be in that way. And he says, you need to deliver yourself. And so he tells us what to do. Go humble yourself and importune yourself to your neighbor. In other words, get humble and go ask for this to change. And then he says, give no sleep to your eyes nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver your, yourself like a gazelle from the hunter's hand and like a bird from the hand of the fowler, right? So what he's saying is you humble yourself and you do what you got to do to get out of this place. Now, I'm going to tell you something. He's basically talking about any bondage here, specifically a bondage when you put yourself in the lives of other people. One of the things that I've heard Brother Copeland say before, and I really liked is when you go into debt, you go into covenant with the people that run that organization. 
that can be a dangerous thing. I can tell you, even as I was reading this today, I've never seen it like this before, but I saw it today as clear as could be, is if you're in debt and you have that bondage hanging over your head, you should be very disciplined. And, and what he's saying, he's not saying that you never sleep. He's saying that you go the extra mile until you are out of that bondage. You go the extra mile until you are out of that bondage. Do not let that bondage linger and don't rest on that bondage. And I want to tell you, you know, uh, I, right now that is, that is making me want to get completely out of debt as quickly as possible because I don't want to carry that bondage. I've got wisdom from the book of Proverbs, from the Holy Spirit, from the Lord telling me, don't sleep on that. Believe God. Do what I have to do. And he's going to, and what I want you to see starting in verse six, he's going to give you four steps to get out of bondage, to deliver yourself. Four steps. And I'm going to show you what those are. All right. And uh, so he says, deliver yourself uh, in that way and don't sleep on it. Don't get lazy with it. Be diligent, be disciplined, humble yourself if you have to but get out of that bondage, all right? Then he says this, uh, verse six. Now, and as far as debt is concerned, you know, debt in itself is not a sin. If it was, then he would have made us uh, basically people that, that sold sin because he says in the blessing, you will be the ones who lend and will not borrow in Deuteronomy 28. So debt is not sin, but it can be a bondage and it can be something that holds us back as you can see by this passage right here. In other words, it's not necessarily sin to go into debt, but it is sin to let it linger as a bondage, right? We don't wanna do that. Of course, in the New Testament it says, owe no man anything but to love him. And this is not a financial class, but here's the thing. Sometimes you have things where you can, you can borrow at you know 3%, 4%, maybe not right now, and then you could make 20% off of that. That can be business. That's a part of business. But you never want to put yourself in a position where you, where you get in bondage over that. One thing you can do is, for instance, uh, we had a vehicle that we borrowed money for the vehicle. The issue was I could pay that vehicle off at any time. I had the money in another account that I could do, but that other account was making me more money than the percentage on the ve on the vehicle. So uh, I opted to do that after much prayer. I say it like this concerning debt. You'll also see that the Lord, by the word of the Lord, when the uh, widow needed to pay off her debt, he actually told her, go and borrow vessels. You'll notice that she didn't borrow vessels forever. That's one thing. Don't get in debt with umpteen million payments, all right? They weren't in, in debt forever, but there was a period where he said, go borrow these so that this bondage can break. In other words, she was basically making transactions and doing business, and this is the key point. This is the key point on debt. At the word of the Lord. The Lord told her to do that. So when I go into debt, I absolutely make sure I have a word from the Lord or I don't do it. But I also have some standards ahead of time that this should not last long. I should be believing God to come out of it quickly. And it needs to be profiting me to be there in, in that way. I need to be able to make that and be able to pay it off so it's not weighing on my shoulders. 
I need to watch who I'm in covenant with. So there's some, there's some key components to that. It's not something that we should rush into. All right, so now, going at verse 6, how to come out of that. We have, we have four things. Verse 6 uh, through 11 really talks about this, but verse 6 through 8, I'm going to read those, and then we're going to go back to them. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Observe her ways and be wise, which, having no chief or no officer or no ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. Now, what I want you to see is, notice that these verses are directly tied to the verses in front of it. There was a debt. There was a bondage. And so he's saying, if you find yourself in this, humble yourself, go to the person who has you in their hand and and work to get out. But also do the work that's necessary to get out of that. If you have a bondage of debt, if you have a ditch financially that you're in, if you have a ditch where your life is running a certain, do what you have to do. Use the example of the ant to actually come out of that. And so the Lord tells us several things here. There's four things to come out of a bondage and come out of a ditch. I believe we have a graphic for that. They're getting it. Four things to come out of a ditch. Number one, be self-motivated. Number one, be self-motivated. Two, work to plant. Work to tend and work to harvest. There's three different areas there. So you'll see here, he says, the ant has no chief, no officer, and no ruler. No chief, no officer, or no ruler. Nobody's sitting there telling that ant what to do. The ant is self-motivated. In other words, don't wait for your pastor to tell you what to do. Don't wait for your boss to tell you what to do. You wanna, you wanna just stay out of a ditch and stay on top all the time? Be self-motivated. Don't wait for somebody to tell you what to do. Be self-motivated all the time, right? This is, in other words, just because we do have a ruler, just because we do have a pastor, an officer, or a boss, doesn't mean that we have to wait to be self-motivated. We can be self-motivated and stay out of that ditch and actually continue. Think about this. If these steps will get us out of a ditch and get us out of a bondage, how will they work when you're out of the ditch? It will catapult you, right? It will move you to higher heights if we continue these things. Now, what I want to I want to give, you know, I want to give you two different ditches. One ditch is somebody not doing enough. Another ditch is they do everything based on their work. So somebody could take what I just said and say, well, I need to never sleep, never have slumber to my eyes, and just and just keep working and work myself out. And what they end up doing is another part of the word, like uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 3, who says they give their body to be burned, but they have not love. In other words, they completely burn themselves out because what they did was they moved to themselves as their source. I'm saying you make sure that you don't sleep on a bondage and coming out of a ditch, but that doesn't mean that you put yourself in bondage to never rest, to never sleep after you come out of that ditch. No, you just make sure that you're diligent to get out of that ditch, and then you keep up good practices like being self-motivated here, right there, being self-motivated. The second thing is you see in verse uh, verse 8, the ant prepares her food 
in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. Now, I want you to see there's three areas of work here. If the ant is preparing her food in the summer, and we know seed time and harvest, the first thing has to be done is in a harvest is a planting. So in other words, I have to sow something. I have to sow. I have to work to sow, right? The second thing is, just because I sow doesn't mean that I just fall asleep until the harvest. There's work to tend. In other words, if I have work to do, I don't just sow it and then stop. No, I'm self-motivated to plant. I'm self-motivated to water and tend to that plant. And then the third area is I'm self-motivated to harvest. Many people think about this. You remember when the miracle of the manna happened in the desert with the Israelites? Remember, all this was a miracle, supernatural, came about in that way, but didn't they have to get up, get out of their tent, and go gather it? In other words, there was a work to the harvest. Some people sit back, they're like, well, I gave my $100 seed, and now I'm just going to sit on the couch, and God's going to bless me. No, he's not. No, he's not. No, because that's not in line with his word. You're breaking uh, the ways of his word, and it's not going to work like that. Like, he might be merciful, and you might, you might get by, but you're not going to get ahead in that way. You want to, if you're going to get out of a ditch, be self-motivated, work to plant, work to tend to the plant, and work for the harvest. And once you have the harvest, you can rest, and, and you can move on in that way. And watch this. He goes on to say this, verse 9. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? How long are you going to sit there and wait? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Verse 11. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond, and your need like an armed man. Now, I want you to see this. There's, there's an if-then statement here. If you just a little bit more sleep, just a little bit more rest, just a little bit more slumber, a little folding of my hands. In other words, if our nature and our number one uh, kind of our daily method of operation is always to rest and never to work like we should, just a little bit longer. I'm just going to sleep a little bit longer. Just going to hit the snooze button one more time in that way. If that's our nature and our nature is not to work and not to do well. Now, I'm not saying that you don't rest and that you don't rest well, but you plan your time and then you work your plan. You plan your time. You seek the Lord for a a plan. You seek the Lord for a schedule and then you work that schedule. You know, can it change from day to day? Sure, it can change, but as a base, you should stay on that daily method of operation. Can it go a little longer? In other words, if, you're, if your sleeping time is from 10 o'clock at night to 6 in the morning, you know, can you go to bed one night at 11 o'clock because you got a church meeting? Yeah. And you got to minister to your neighbor who's having an emergency, and you, and you, you don't cut the conversation short at 10, you know, 9.55 because I go, go to bed at 10? Of course. Of course you do. But you want to, can it vary some? Yes, but as soon as that variation is gone, you go right back to it. You keep it as a base, and you keep faithful and standard in that way. And you're not always sitting there. If you're always tired, you need to figure out, why am I always tired? What's causing this? 
A lot of times we've put pressure on ourselves or we've not handled some of the daily methods of operation properly in the past. All right? And he says, if you have a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, then your poverty will come in like a vagabond. Now, I want to I talk about this. So a vagabond means to walk. In other words, it's not just rushing in. Now, I want you to see this. The problem with a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands is your poverty doesn't just show up the next day when you start doing that. It starts walking towards you. And and you may get very comfortable in the little sleep, the little slumber, a little being lazy here, not being self-motivated. Well, I'll tend to those plants tomorrow. I'll do the work tomorrow. And we're procrastinating. Here's the thing, though. Uh, Your poverty's coming. It might be coming slower, so you don't connect the two directly, but we have the word of the Lord. It's on its way, and it will not stop until you become self-motivated to do what you need to do. And he says, your poverty's coming. It's walking in. And I wrote down, it will, your poverty will come slowly, but it is coming. If we are not self-motivated and we are not diligent, poverty is coming. That's just it. That is a promise from God. And with it, our need, all of a sudden we will have needs and it comes like an armed man. Now, Now, I want you to see something here because this is more than just what time you wake up in the morning and... This is how do I how do I respond throughout the day? Uh, now, am I asking you to work from sunup to sundown? No, no, the exact opposite of that. Actually, you go into uh, Psalm one twenty seven. Let's just go there. Psalm one twenty seven, verse one and two. This is really important. Skipped over it. Psalm one twenty seven. Because you've got to see the balance of this. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. So now if you think that you're going to build your life up just simply from your hard work and you're you're never going to give yourself proper rest and sleep, who's building the house? We are. And so the problem with that is the Lord's not building it. He says you're in pride. And, and you labor in vain. In other words, it's going to fall apart. I, I can't tell you the number of stories I've seen in my lifetime where somebody in one ditch, you've got two ditches, you've got people that work too hard and you've got people who work too little. There's a balance in the, in the middle. God's given us that balance. We need to see that and, and we need to judge ourselves. What's good to know is which one am I normally coming from, Right. It's good to figure out what's my default, what's my norm, what's your norm. It's good that to ask the Lord that. Lord, help me see. Some people are some people are overworkers and they can't see it. They need the Lord to help them see it. Some people are lazy and they can't see that, and they need they need the Lord to help them see it. So he says, unless I build the house, they labor in vain. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake. In vain, I can't tell you the stories of people I watched. They worked so hard. I mean, they worked, they worked, they worked, they worked, and they made it. 
And then literally, they build their house, either figuratively or literally, and they build their house, and as soon as they get it, they pass away. I've watched it time after time after time. Why? Because they burned themselves out. They became the builder, and it wasn't the Lord, and they never even enjoyed the things that they worked for, and now their family was missing everything. That is not God's plan. That is not God's plan. You have to learn how to rest in the Lord. But resting in the Lord doesn't mean that you are sitting on the couch all day either. You have to learn that, that resting in the Lord is I'm working but I'm working with him empowering me, with his grace empowering me. And I can be in the middle of work, but I'm not toiling. I'm not, I'm not under pressure. I'm not always tired. He's strengthening me. Strengthening me. He's, he's making me uh, be able to do things I could not have done otherwise, and it's not my strength. One of the ways that I saw this is... Uh, when I started preaching and we first started the church in the living room back in 2009, man, I would get to the end. Uh, I would get to the end of preaching and I would be worn out. Like I would be nap time. It's time to take a nap. And I and I got to thinking after a while because p- preachers would almost brag about that. You know, an hour of preaching is like eight hours worth of work. And I'll tell you, that's what it felt like too. I was exhausted. So physically speaking. That's the way it felt. But I knew something's not right about this. I should come out of preaching, and I should be strengthened. I should, be, I should have energy and excitement, and, and I shouldn't be ready to fall apart and take a nap. Something's wrong with this. I should be strengthened by the anointing. The anointing breaks the yoke of that. And so I, I realized there was something in my procedure that I was doing that was... Uh, leaning on my own abilities, and I wasn't leaning on God. See, I was worn out because I was I was taking on the responsibility and the weight of that work on myself and through my own abilities, and I wasn't resting in the Lord. When I change that, now I get to the end of it. I hardly ever take a nap on on Sunday afternoon, where it was like I wanted to do it every Sunday when we first started. You know. One of the things we learn is to rest and lean on the grace of God and his anointing. Well, you don't, if I can do that on Sunday when I'm doing my work, you can do that on Monday through Friday when you're doing your work. You know, I do it all the time, Monday through Friday, well, (laughs) seven days a week when people call and they have, they have, they're going through something. I could either take the weight of what they're doing and make it personal and get worn out, or I could let the grace of God flow through me and help them and come out even strengthened. So I try to, I seek to stay strengthened all the time in that. That's not just for preachers. That's for every believer. That is a promise and a blessing of the grace of God that we have access to. Now look at this. It says, verse 2, Psalm 127, verse 2. So first of all, unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. Verse 2, it is vain or pride or vanity for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors. He gives to his beloved even in his sleep. You are, if you are so worn out from your working, you are in vanity. Now, uh, you're in pride. Now, if you're, now I want you to see something. If you're waking up early at sun, sun up, working all day long, the sun down, and you, and you are eating the bread of painful labors, 
The Lord says that is pride and vanity. Now, I want you to see this because this is important. Remember, judging ourselves with a righteous judgment is one of the most important things we can do. You can have somebody who is immature in their workability and pulling on the grace of God. And they can get up. They cannot be prioritized. They cannot have a plan and a schedule. They can actually not be very mature in their work. And they get to the end of the day, and they've done you know 10% of a normal person's job, but they feel exhausted, and they think they've done a good job. That's not proper either. You, know, you have to see what is the standard that the Lord has, and we should always be growing in that. So many, many youth are in this. Many uh, teenagers, 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds are in this and have not figured this out. And of course, some, you know, some have gone on in the 40s, 50s, 60s and still haven't figured this out either. But I find that you generally learn this by living life uh, by the time you're done about with your 30s in, in that time. We have this idea of what's hard, and then we just go up to that and stop instead of pulling on the grace of God to strengthen us to do more. And so many times people have done you know, 20% of what the average worker does, but they're, they're so wiped out because they've not learned to pull on God. They've not believed God for more. We should always be increasing without the pressure and, and the lack of rest increasing. So we can increase. I'm always believing God for my production to go up, for my production to go up. Always believing for that. Why? Because it's available in him. But I'm never believing to be more busy, and I'm never believing to be more tired. I'm believing to be more rested and less busy with a higher production. So we're believing God for more and more. Our production level should go up our rest level should also be going up. As long as production and rest is going up, then then we're in a good place. This is where we want to be. But we don't want to just let our body and our flesh tell us what our limit is. Our flesh is not the one who sets the limit. The sky is the limit because we have God as a resource. Amen? Wow. The Lord has given so much so much in those uh, few verses. All right, so now what I want you to see is that we need to understand that the work of the Lord is not just doing work. It's working with the blessing. It's working by his grace. It's not just waking up at sun up and working all day till sun goes down. The, the Bible says that's vanity. No, it's letting the grace of God improve us, empower us, bring us those things, and for our production level to go up. I've watched many people over, over the years, and they never believe. They, they got their job. They go do their job. They're never believing for any increase whatsoever. God's way is increase. Remember Luke 2.52. Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature or maturity and in favor with God and man. You see it in the New Testament as well. Paul kept increasing. Increase is a way of God. You see it in 2 Corinthians 9, to increase the harvest of our righteousness. So we should always be believing for increase and increase in our productivity, increase in our rest because we're utilizing more and more of the grace of God. So he says, if you're not doing that and you're just, you know, you're 
you're basically letting your flesh set a standard. Oh, you're too tired. You can't get up right now. A little folding of the hands. Understand, you can get up. This is one, one point I want to get to. You can get up at 5 a.m. every day. You can go to bed at 11 p.m. every single day, and you can work the whole time and still be guilty of a little sleep and a little slumber. Let me let that hit home for a second. You can get up at 5 a.m., go to bed at 11 p.m., work the whole time, and still be guilty of a little sleep and a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. Why? Because you're not believing God for increase and the amount that you're outputting is below par. In other words, you're not believing to actually produce at the level that you should. But what I want you to see is this, and many people are guilty of this. They are not believing God for increase. And so they might be, but you know, technically, they might be getting up and working hard all day, and they think they have checked the box, but they have dropped faith for increase and dropped faith for production when God gave them everything. This, you know, so this is something that I think many people have fallen guilty of, and that's what that's one of the pieces I wanted you to see, because I don't want anybody falling into this. I've fallen into it before. I've fallen into every, everything I've talked about wrong. I've done it wrong before. I've been I've been in the ditch of laziness. I've been in the ditch of working too hard. I've been in the ditch of of relying on myself. I've been in the ditch of not drawing on the grace of God, not believing God for increase in my product. I have done all of that wrong. And that's, I don't want anybody to ever be in that place again. I want you blessed. I want you overflowing. I want you going to the places that God has for you. And I want you flying to those heights. Well, this is, this is one of those things where you start to see if I'm not believing on God for that increase, then I am laying my head to rest on the faith that he's given me to increase and produce. You should be believing God that I can work my normal time in a day, still have time to play and rest and do all that, and in my normal time of work, by the grace of God, I am able to produce 150% what the normal person does. I, in other words, you see what I'm saying? You, you are not average. You are not the world's normal. You are heaven's normal. If you are a child of God, you are heaven's normal. You are heaven's normal. You are a child of God, and you have the ability and the rights to grab a hold of the things of God. He can take, listen to this, in a fisherman. Like, let's say fishermen in the times of Jesus. They would go out, and they would have a catch, right? They would have a catch. A great catch would fill up their boats. But wasn't there a grace available at the word of God that not only filled up their boats, but filled up all of their partners' boats at the same time? That's a supernatural productivity, and it literally was one casting of the net. And it happened multiple times. That's a supernatural grace and a supernatural productivity you should be believing God for. Supernatural wisdom. One, one day, um, I was working. At this point, my, my problem was that I was working too hard. And I was in that ditch of overworking. 
And so one of the things that I did was I had this list of stuff to do. And uh, I, you know, just to give you an idea about it was, you know, I had basically like, you know, 12 hours of work and eight hours of day. And the Lord said, you need, you need to go take a nap. And I went, Lord, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, like, I don't have time to go take a nap. And his response to me surprised me because he, he said this. He said, now understand, my ditch was working too hard, right? This is not a good example for somebody whose ditch is not working too hard. All right, this is, they need to change it in the other direction. I needed to change this. He said, you need to go take a nap. I was like, Lord, I don't have time to take a nap. He said, he said you don't have time not to take a nap. And I went, okie dokie. <laughs> and so I said, at your word then, I'm going and I'm taking a nap. I went, I took a nap, and uh, I woke up, and the next day I did like one and a half days worth of work in that time. In other words, in that next period of time, I, my production was at like one and a half. There was things that normally took me like an hour. I did them in 20 minutes. You know, there, were, there was wisdom that came in. Why? Because I had moved at the word of the Lord and I had let him be the builder of the house. I'd let him be the builder of the house. So one of the things that you see is we can believe on God to give us a supernatural grace, a supernatural wisdom. You can be uh, lazy not only in your physical work, but you can be lazy in your spiritual work. We don't want to be either one of those. You can overwork. You can be in the other ditch. You can overwork in your physical work. Uh, you can overwork in your spiritual work. In other words, it's like you're trying to read, you know, a third, you know, I don't know. I'll make up something. You're trying to read four hours of, of the gospel every single day. Well, that's not a scripture. That's not a requirement. It's not a commandment. But people think, well, if I don't do this, they make their spiritual prayer time. They make their scripture reading a payment. Now, you're trying to overwork. You're trying to overwork in the spirit or you're trying to overwork in the flesh. There's a balance of those. It's led. It's written on our heart. He'll give us parameters. He shows us what to do. He doesn't want people working 12-hour, 16-hour days. Listen, I had this, this. This made me so irritated. Abigail was in school, and uh, she was in high school, and uh, they were literally, uh, since that period of time, they had to make changes because they were, compl they were completely burning the kids out. Uh, I mean, they, were, they have made changes at the school now, but during that period of time, they hadn't made the change yet, and she, she had one teacher that was just pouring on the work. And she is, not a, she is not a person that doesn't do good work. She does good work. I watch her. I was judging that. I'm looking at it like, is she slacking off? Is she doing? And in my opinion, she wasn't slacking off at all. She would literally get done with school, start her work, finish many days, many days, finish her homework at 1 and 2 o'clock in the morning. And, I mean, she was wearing herself out. And uh, she went to the teacher, she went to the teacher and asked about it, and the teacher said this, well, this is just life. She needs to get used to it. And I went, ooh, because, see, in that, here's the, here's the deception there, is you believe that work is life, and it's not. It's a part of life. 
but it is not all of what life is. And I went, no, I don't, I work. You know, you work to live in that way. Now, I'm not, I'm not giving you scripture, you know, something necessarily to quote. I'm giving you a process of how to think towards this. I do the work because that's what love does. Work should be a function of our love. It should, our work for the Lord, our work for church, our work for a ministry, it should be a function of love, not because we're trying to make a payment. I work at my job because it's a function of my love to do what's right, to provide for my family, which is also what God has commanded me to do. So it it flows not out of just responsibility only and making a payment. It should flow from our heart of love to do what God has commanded us to do. It's a worship. Um, your work can be a worship to the Lord. And many people, they, they never have the right balance with work because it's not a worship to them. Understand that everything we do is either worship to God or not. It's either flowing from the why, the place of why, of the love of God. Why are you doing this? Because I love God. Or it's flowing from a different place. If it's not flowing from the place of because I love God, it's not going to be a worship and it's going to be out of balance. So this, when we have work, we don't go in there and work just so that we can say I work. No, we go in and work so that we can have the life with our family, with our friends to do other things. Work in itself is not that life. It's a part of that life. And this teacher didn't get it. And uh, man, I was hot and it was a good thing I didn't go talk to her right then. And uh, But you know, basically what I would have told her in non-biblical terms is, I don't, you know, life, work is not my life. I work to live, I don't live to work, right? And that's what I would have told her so in her terms so that she'd understand that. I work to live. I don't I work so that I can have a life. I don't give my life just to check a box of work. What's the point in that? You know, it, basically you've done nothing. All you've done is produce money at the end of, of your life, but you've had no what's more important, that money or those or those um fellowships that you have, those friendships, those that family, that time, those are the things that are made in the image and likeness of God. God didn't create me just to fulfill a position at a job. That's not who you are. You're made in the image and likeness of God so that you may have fellowship with God. See, if you're, if you're living to work, you'll have no fellowship with people, but you'll have no fellowship with God either. And that, you know, that whole point was missed in that. The, the thing was, during that period of time, Abigail had a hard time. She had a hard time having fellowship with God or anything else because everything was going to work. Everything was going to that work. And um, so it is out of balance when it's like that. You have to see that. You can, you can be in the wrong ditch, and many people have that mindset. And it, it's just as bad as being completely lazy is overworking in that way. So we don't want to overwork. We don't want to underwork. We want to make sure that we are following the leading of, of the Lord. And the Holy Spirit has already laid out. I've given you many verses today. The Holy Spirit has laid out many of those principles in this chapter and in his word already, what work looks like and how it should be and what the power of it is. When we can believe God for favor, you know, some people get out and when they're trying to make sales, they'll beat down the doors and they should get out there and work. 
But you should also be believing God for favor so that when you're, you don't have to have as many doors to produce just as much or more, right? You believe God for favor that favor increases on you like it increased on Jesus. So sometimes people are doing things too much. Uh, they're trying to be too spiritual to make a payment. Sometimes they're trying to be too physical to make a payment. We're not making a payment. We're doing this out of love of God. Lord, I love you. My work is a worship to you, and you will empower me with your grace to get it done and bring about the productivity that I need, and it will be awesome. This is a work balance that we need to see and we need to have understanding of. And, and you know, around here, I think I said it yesterday, we work hard around here, but we work by his grace. Now, there's been times where every single one of us have not worked by the grace of God. <laughs> and generally, a meltdown comes after that is by somebody. And we've had them, and we've seen them. I've had them. Everybody else has had them. But here's, here's what we're learning, and we're growing in together, and you can learn in it as well, is there's a grace, a supernatural grace of God that will, that will empower you to step through and have that production and that favor. And it's not weighty. And it's not, it's not a place where there's always a burden. And if you're, again, we'll go back to Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. If my life is not easy and light, even at work, that's an indicator or a symptom that something in my walk with God is out of place. That also includes when I'm at my job. If it's not, he said, my yoke is easy, my burden's light, come to me. Because if it's not easy, if you're heavy, if, if your life is heavy, come to me. I'll teach you how it can be easy and light. So if life is not easy and light, there's something in my actions, something in my thinking, something, something in my walk that is out of line and out of balance, or else it would be easy and light. By using that as a source then that'll help us to pinpoint and find those places where it has been a burden that doesn't have to be a burden. Now, imagine this. Imagine this. If you actually remove those burdens and you're still productive, what would life be like? How will life be if you remove those burdens and you're still productive? You still have the benefits of the productivity but I don't have the way down a nature of the work of the world, of the toil. Life would be glorious. This is where we need to live. This is where believers are called to live. They have every bit of godliness they need already granted to them in 2 Peter 1.3. Every bit of it's already been given to us to walk that out and live that. All right, now, I want you to see this. We're going to finish up today with verse 12 through 15, and we'll come back to Proverbs 6 tomorrow to wrap it up. Verse 12 says, A worthless person, a wicked man, is one who walks with a perverse mouth, who winks with his eyes, who signals with his feet, who points with his fingers, and who with perversity in his heart continually devises evil, who spreads strife. Therefore, his calamity will come suddenly, instantly he will be broken and there will be no healing. Now, what I want you to see is these verses obviously is, are talking about somebody who's got things messed up. Uh, this The only reason I wanted to read that is this. I want you to notice that it's directly attached to the verses in front of it 
who has an improper work-life balance. And a person with an improper work-life balance falls into the same category as these continuing verses that he's warning us about, and he's showing us if you'll work properly, you'll come out of a ditch, you'll stay out of that bondage, but don't be this person that is, that is basically a worthless person in their life because they don't have their work-life balance, their productivity, and their rest in the right areas. And so I want you to see that that's a big negative. It's not just like, yeah, you should, you should work harder, or yeah, you should, you should you know, make sure you got balance. It's not just like a little thing. To the Lord, this is a big thing. He's telling us poverty. Like, and we're not talking about uh, the world's definition of poverty. We're talking about actual poverty. Poverty will come in, will walk in like a vagabond, and your need will come in like an armed man. In other words, need and necessity will be forced in your life if we don't get this balance proper in our lives where we work because we love God. It's a part of our worship to the Lord. We're increasing in our faith for grace and productivity. We're not overworking. We're not underworking. We're not sitting still. We're constantly growing in God. These are not things that you have to produce on your own. These are things where you turn your heart to God and say, Lord, I'll do what you tell me to do. I will do what you tell me to do, and it'll be blessed, and it'll be mighty, and it'll be magnificent, and we will have the blessing of God on our lives, and our lives will be a blessing to others. It will be a testimony to others, and it'll be blessed. Amen. If that's you, and that's what you want to walk in, then I encourage you, go back, listen to this one again. This work-life balance, right? Listen to this one again. Go back to it. We need to get this in us. It needs to be a part of who we are without having to drum it up or try and remember what I said in the middle of a crunch time moment. No, this just needs to come out of us because we've changed our mind, we've changed our heart, and this is who we are. When we get to that place, productivity and rest will be uh, in our hands. Uh, Poverty will be far away from us. Bondages and debt will be far away from us. This is where we can be. That's why God's telling us about it. So that's the first part of Proverbs chapter 6. We'll come back to the second part uh, tomorrow. So I look forward to talking to you about that. Today, you know, if we give this we give this broadcast into the world every single day. We sow it into the world for free. Nothing is required of you uh, except to take the time to watch it. That, that's basically it. If you would like to partner with us, you don't have to. You're welcome to. You can go to giveww.org. Is that right? Giveww.org. And, and you can go there and you can sow one time or on a regular basis. You can give by PayPal, Venmo, Cash App, a text to give, give cryptocurrency, NFTs, all of that stuff is available right there. We made it easy for you. You can partner with us to get these words like we had today out to the world. And uh, we encourage you to do that. You don't have to, but if the Lord's writing that on your heart, he's writing it on your heart for a reason. And as we're obedient to him, it brings the blessing of God into our lives. So everybody who's doing that, our job is to receive those resources and receive that partnership 
to bless it from the giver. Whoever's given it, Lord, bless them. Let the supernatural grace that's on this ministry come on them. And Lord, we will utilize every resource to get this word out to the best of our ability. Father, we ask you right now, give us supernatural wisdom on how to get your word to people so that they can have the fresh daily bread of the word of life that will empower them and strengthen them, keep them out of bondage, and increase their lives. Lord, show us that wisdom. Show us how to do those things. We ask you for supernatural wisdom. And Lord, we ask that every person that's partnered with us is is blessed in Jesus' name. Let it overflow to them, be pressed down, shaken together, and running over. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we ask you too right now for everybody that's been watching today. Lord, let our work-life balance be 100% godly. Let it not be lacking in any way, in any form or fashion. Let it be exactly what you want us to have. Let it be nothing short of your goodness and heavenly nature. Let your will be done in our lives as it is in heaven and let your will be done perfectly. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love you so very much. Remember, like, share, subscribe to the broadcast. Uh, Share it with your friends. How many people you know has had some point of their work life out of balance, and we just talked about how to fix that, and biblically what God has said to have it in balance. People need to hear that. They need to know that. It needs to become a part of them not just the ones that got to watch it live today, but share it with them. Share that broadcast, and we will see you tomorrow. We'll go into Proverbs chapter 6, part 2. Love you so very much. See you then. That was a clap. I felt that echo. Um, Thank you so much for joining us today. This has been powerful. Do what Pastor said. Share the broadcast. Spread the word. And we're looking forward to seeing you tomorrow at 1130 for Lunch Plus as we jump into Proverbs chapter 6, part 2. It's going to be awesome. Uh, But until then, we love you guys, and we'll see you tomorrow. Have a good day.